Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. It's summertime, and with school over and the days free, how will you spend your time? The easy answer is a trip to the mall. This trip includes browsing through record stores, but there seems to be quite a lot of amazing music all out at the same time. The decision on what to buy isn't easy. Maybe picking a movie to watch at the movie theater that night will be easier. You've got your drinks and popcorn in hand, but as you look up at the marquee, the decision becomes even tougher. With so many amazing options, what do you go with? And will you even get around to seeing all the movies you want? Tough decisions and so many options seem to be the case across the board, as this particular year is a pretty epic one. I'm Jamie Logie, and this is Everything 80s, a podcast that looks back on a decade that forever changed the way we dress, consume, and connected. And today, we travel back to a year that, when it comes to all things pop culture, is pretty much as good as it gets. This is a look back at 1988. course of this podcast, I've done yearly reviews covering 1980 right up to 1987. And all of those are available in my previous episodes to get you up to speed with how each year shaped the course of the 1980s. And that brings us to 1988. The focus of these podcasts is to look back at all the great pop culture moments, music, TV shows, movies, sports, and technology that make up each year of this transformative decade. But let's start out by looking at a few of the big world events taking place in 1988. Canadian Prime Minister Brian Mulroney and U.S. President Ronald Reagan sign a Canada-United States free trade agreement. But this was the last year for Reagan, as in November of 1988, George H.W. Bush defeats Michael Dukakis in the United States presidential election. We also have big moments like the Soviet Union withdrawing troops from Afghanistan. Margaret Thatcher becoming the longest-serving UK Prime Minister of the 20th century. Speaking of the UK, archaeologists uncover the original Globe Theatre in London. 1988 is also the year of the Pan Am jet explosion over Lockerbie, Scotland. We have things like the Phantom of the Opera opening at the Majestic Theatre in New York City. And Stephen Hawking releases his book, A Brief History of Time. The average cost of a new house in 1988 was about $90,000. Monthly rent was about $420. A gallon of gas was $0.91. Cents, a stamp around $0.24. Cents, and the average price for a new car, just over $10,000. We start this full review of 1988 by looking at the big screen. As we get to the latter stages of the decade, big blockbuster movies have become much more commonplace. The movie industry as a whole 
has made great strides during the 1980s, and industry revenue is at an all-time high. The 80s really is the era of the popcorn film, with many big-budget, action-adventure mainstream offerings. These movies were easily marketable and appealed to a wide range of audiences. The 80s were all about the blockbuster, and 1988 was no different. Here are just a few of the standout films from that year. There's always interest in crossover films, where we see a combination of characters from the same or other cinematic universes. But none of them can hold a candle to the ultimate crossover film, Who Framed Roger Rabbit? This is a movie that could only exist in the 1980s, and thanks to the incredible protection over licensed characters and movie rights will probably never happen again. This brilliant film is a throwback to the old days of Hollywood, but incorporated the latest animation techniques blended with live action. Starring Bob Hoskins and Christopher Lloyd, Who Framed Roger Rabbit was an astonishing achievement in film and that it combines famous characters from Disney, Warner Brothers, King Features Syndicate, Universal, Turner Studios, and Paramount Pictures. It was Steven Spielberg who was able to convince the other studios to lend out their characters. In a time before billion-dollar franchises, there was almost a neighborly quality to the loaning out of licensed characters for somebody else's project. Who Framed Roger Rabbit was a massive hit and unique in that it appealed to an incredibly wide range of viewers. Kids were drawn in by the animation, but this was far from a G-rated film and had elements that appealed to teenagers and adults. Next, take one of the biggest comedians of the 80s and mix him with James Earl Jones and Arsenio Hall, have John Landis direct it, and you've got Coming to America, an absolutely gigantic hit for not just 1988, but the entire decade. Starring Eddie Murphy, Coming to America is a comedy romance film about a prince of a fictional African country who heads to the U.S., wanting to find a wife who will love him for who he is and not because of his wealth or title. The movie opened to initial criticism before catching on like wildfire. Murphy also released his notorious stand-up comedy film, Raw, in later 1987, which was still going strong in 1988. Next is a Christmas movie about a police officer who finds himself in a hostage situation on Christmas Eve. One of the defining movies of the 80s, Die Hard, was released in the summer of 1988. But make no mistake, this is a Christmas movie and stars Bruce Willis as John McClane and Alan Rickman as Hans Gruber. Based on a book called Nothing Lasts Forever by Roderick Thorpe, Die Hard was actually nominated for four Oscars in sound design and visual effects. Another significant movie of 1988 was one that wasn't as big a hit financially as these others, but became a cult favorite. It's about a couple that finds themselves dead and haunts their own home that has been taken over by a wealthy family. To rid the house of the couple, they bring in a people exorcist named Beetlejuice. Starring Michael Keaton, Winona Ryder, Catherine O'Hara, and Gina Davis, and directed by Tim Burton, Beetlejuice was still a big box office success. Even though the character of Beetlejuice is only in the film for about 17 minutes, it was an important film as it connected Michael Keaton 
to Tim Burton. This allowed the two to team up again as the success of Beetlejuice led Warner Brothers to greenlight Tim Burton's next project about a certain Cape Crusader. And I will cover that more when I review 1989. So make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss out on that. But those movies just scratched the surface. In 1988, we also got Good Morning Vietnam, Big, A Fish Called Wanda, Crocodile Dundee 2, Three Men and a Baby, The Land Before Time, Bull Durham, Cocktail, Moonstruck, Willow, Scrooge, Twins, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, The Great Outdoors, Child's Play, Fatal Attraction, Ernest Saves Christmas, The Naked Gun, Beaches, and there's a ton I'm still leaving out. Oh yeah, and there's also Rain Man, which was the highest grossing film worldwide for 1988, bringing in $354 million, or around $900 million when adjusted for inflation. Rain Man was a hit both commercially and critically beyond what anyone thought was possible. So, all in all, 1988 is not only one of the best years for movies in the 1980s, but possibly ever. And a majority of these films came out during the summer of 1988, which was now an established hallowed ground for big blockbuster films. I also have a previous episode where I rank which was the best summer for movies in the 80s, if you want to go back and check that out too. Spoiler alert, 1988, pretty high on the list. The highest grossing film of the year after Rain Man was Who Framed Roger Rabbit, with a worldwide gross of $330 million. Next was Coming to America, with a $288 million worldwide gross, and Crocodile Dundee 2, with nearly $240 million. When you look at the top 10 highest grossing movies of the 1980s, four of them come from 1988. At the 1988 Academy Awards, Best Picture went to The Last Emperor. Michael Douglas won Best Actor for Wall Street, and Cher won Best Actress for Moonstruck. Fun, lively, anthemic, and energetic is the best way to describe the music of 1988. The biggest albums and songs of the year had a distinctive pop and hard rock feel to them. This was the year with big arena rock and a standout year for the genre that was growing extremely quickly, hip hop. But the biggest album of the year goes to an artist from England who started out in a very popular duo called Wham. In 1988, Faith by George Michael was the number one album for 12 weeks. George Michael had become tired of the overly poppy music of Wham and Faith was his first departure away from that. And what a departure it was. Burned on by the title track of the same name, the Faith album stayed in the Billboard Top 200 for an amazing 51 non-consecutive weeks. Next, named after their home state, New Jersey by Bon Jovi was their fourth studio album. Built off the back of monster hits like Bad Medicine, Lay Your Hands On Me, and I'll Be There For You, this gigantic album was the definition of arena rock. New Jersey went seven times platinum in the US, five times platinum in Canada, two times platinum in both the UK and Australia, and also platinum in countries like Finland, Germany, New Zealand, Spain, and Switzerland. 
a true monster album in every sense of the word. Not to be outdone was the unique hybrid live studio album by a four-piece Irish rock band called U2. This seminal rattle and hum was released in October 1988 and accompanied by a film of the same name. Rattle and Hum was a unique album, not only in its concept and execution, but in the fact it paid tribute to American roots music. Rattle and Hum was like a love letter to blues music, gospel, and folk rock. The album is also a tribute to great artists such as B.B. King, Bob Dylan, and Jimi Hendrix. Rattle and Hum sold 14 million albums and was number one for six weeks. One of the other biggest selling albums of 1988 and of all time came out in 1987 and was actually a movie soundtrack, Dirty Dancing. Even though it came out in July of 87, this album was still a huge phenomenon in 1988. Built off the back of singles like I've Had the Time of My Life, She's Like the Wind, and Hungry Eyes, the Dirty Dancing soundtrack was number one everywhere in 1987 and 1988. In 1988, a year after it was released, it was still the number one album for 11 weeks. This album went 14 times platinum in the US, 10 times platinum in the UK, 11 times platinum in Australia, and certified diamond in Canada. Other albums from 1987 that were still at the top of the charts for 1988 include Hysteria by Def Leppard, Appetite for Destruction by Guns N' Roses, and Tiffany by Tiffany. When it comes to album releases, 1988 was a seminal year for hip-hop as it gave us genre-defining albums such as Tougher Than Leather by Run DMC, It Takes a Nation of Millions to Hold Us Back by Public Enemy, Follow the Leader by Eric B. and Rakim, Straight Outta Compton by N.W.A., Strictly Business by EPMD, and the very first album I ever bought on cassette, He's the DJ, I'm the Rapper, by DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince. 1988 also gave us iconic albums like Daydream Nation by Sonic Youth, and Justice for All by Metallica, Tracy Chapman by Tracy Chapman, and Surfer Rosa by The Pixies. Here's what the Billboard year-end Hot 100 Top 10 singles of the year look like. Number one was Faith by George Michael. Number two, Need You Tonight by NXS. George Harrison in at number three with Got My Mind Set On You. Fourth place is a song we all dance to in front of the mirror, Never Gonna Give You Up by Rick Astley. That might have just been me. Number five, The Iconic Sweet Child of Mine by Guns N' Roses. Sixth place went to So Emotional by Whitney Houston. Seven is Heaven is a Place on Earth by Belinda Carlisle. A number eight is Could Have Been by Tiffany. In ninth place, Hands to Heaven by Breathe. And rounding out the top 10 is Roll With It by Steve Winwood. If there is a year that defines the sound of the 1980s, it may be 1988. But one of the biggest moments in music didn't happen on stage or in a recording studio, but in retail stores. 1988 was the first time that the compact disc outsold vinyl records in the U.S. According to MTV, even up to 1987, sales of CDs and vinyl were neck and neck, with vinyl still slightly ahead. But 1988 changed all of that. The CD player, only released about six years earlier, 
was incredibly expensive when it first debuted. But like all technology, it takes several years before prices drop and the average consumer can own it. This is exactly what happened in 1988. Manufacturers started to release more cost-efficient CD players like the York CD Pal. This is one of the first CD players that cost under $100. That's about $250 when adjusted for inflation, but a hell of a lot cheaper than the first units, which in today's money would cost you about $2,200. This was a pretty significant event. Because of the advanced digital technology, even the lowest quality CD player sounded better than the best record or cassette player. And the price had dropped quite quickly considering the slower pace of technology development back in the 80s. In just six years, the machines went from around $700 to under $100. This was rapid progression. In 1988, cassettes are still outselling CDs, but not for much longer. For manufacturers and record companies, CDs were cheaper to produce than cassettes, and this is going to lead into an era of music that will become the most lucrative in music history. Coming up next are some of the big technological advancements of 1988, including an unintentional historical event that alerted the world as to how vulnerable our computers really were. Everything 80s will return after these messages. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Computers are the primary focus of the 1988 tech world. To start, the personal computer has now made it into more homes. Well, now it's here. Personal computers have arrived, and they're available now. In the latter part of the 80s, personal computer competition was going up. The technology was getting cheaper, and that meant overall costs for consumers were coming down. In 1988, we now had more user-friendly computer options like the Apple II, the Macintosh, the Atari ST, Amiga 2000, and the Commodore 64. Let's you play hundreds more games with any video machine, plus draw, program, even do music. Home computers were still expensive, but by 1988, they had made their way into 15% of homes. 
And speaking of computers, something very significant happened in 1988 that not everyone necessarily knew about or understood at the time. But it was something that would have a profound effect on the world of technology and computers. In 1988, the average person didn't necessarily know of an international group of computer communications networks or internet as it was being referred to. There wasn't a World Wide Web yet and this internet was more like a community. But now, tens of thousands of computers could be linked together 24 hours a day. By 1988, some 60,000 computers in 17 different countries were connected together. But something soon happened that caused panic within the community. At around 8.30 p.m. on November 2nd, 1988, people quickly learned how vulnerable this network of computers could be. Robert Tappan Morris was a Harvard graduate attending graduate school at Cornell. Aware of the potential of the internet, Morris wanted to be a part of it and was working on something, a program that was able to self-propagate through the internet. Released at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, the program spread quicker than Morris anticipated, quickly infecting upwards of 6,000 computers. The program he created was spreading to colleges on the other side of the country and even to other prestigious institutions such as Harvard, Princeton, Stanford, Johns Hopkins, and even NASA. The program he created was rapidly infecting all of these computers. This wasn't a virus that needed software. It was a worm and would forever be known as the Morris worm. But how serious was this? Was there anything to even worry about? Most people had never even heard of the internet. An article in the New York Times about this computer worm was the very first time the word internet had been used by that paper. But this internet computer virus did more damage than people expected. It delayed emails for days. It disrupted programs. And according to FBI.gov, even slowed vital military operations to a crawl. The Morris worm showed how vulnerable a network of computers could be. What started out as a prank wiped out many systems and cost institutions upwards of millions of dollars to fix. Cybersecurity, which seemed like a science fiction term, now seemed to be an important issue. In an unprecedented move, the FBI got involved, and it was decided that Morris had broken federal law. He was the first person charged with the relatively new Computer Fraud and Abuse Act of 1986. In 1988, as fast as technology was moving, we quickly learned how susceptible our advancements really were. Speaking of computers, in 1988, Microsoft Office was first released. Sega released the Sega Genesis. And so it was, he brought forth Genesis. A system with twice the power, twice the intelligence, twice the challenge, twice the fun. And Steve Jobs unveiled the next computer, which was the first release from the new company he started after leaving Apple in 1985.
As the Morris worm was wreaking havoc, most of us were blissfully unaware and watching the endless parade of amazing content coming into our living rooms. Network TV continues to dominate in 1988, and it's a year that gave us a few debuts that would go on to be powerhouse rating successes for the rest of the 80s and into the 90s. The first is the series about a family that lives in the fictional town of Lansford, Illinois. And it starred a comedian that was really starting to make a name for herself. Roseanne debuted in October 1988 and didn't take long to become a massive hit. Starring Roseanne Barr, Roseanne was an incredibly unique departure from many of the squeaky clean, cookie-cutter family sitcoms that dominated network TV. This was a show that was much more true to life and looked more like the average family than the Seavers or the Keatons did. This made Roseanne much more relatable, as the show was a true representation of a blue-collar family. The ratings for Roseanne right out of the gate were astonishing. The first season averaged over 35 million viewers. If it wasn't for The Cosby Show, the new series about the Connor family would have been the number one show on TV. Another big debut in 1988 was a series about an investigative journalist and news anchor who had struggled with some personal issues. Candace Bergen stars as Murphy Brown a series that debuted in November 1988 on CBS. It took a few years to attract an audience, but by the third season, Murphy Brown regularly finished in the top 10 and top 5, with the series running all the way until 1997. Next is a series set in a junior high school in Indiana. It starred Haley Mills and was called Good Morning, Miss Bliss. But you probably remember it better by its unofficial name, Saved by the Bell, the Junior High Years. Good Morning, Miss Bliss featured a character called Zach Morris, along with Lisa Turtle and Samuel Screech Powers. Airing on the Disney Channel, Good Morning, Miss Bliss only lasted for one season until it was retooled into the beloved Saved by the Bell. Also debuting in 1988 was The Wonder Years, The Growing Pains spinoff, Just the Ten of Us, Alf Tales, two great kids' game shows called Treasure Mall and Fun House, Garfield and Friends, The New Adventures of Winnie the Pooh, Yo! MTV Raps, and Mystery Science Theater 3000. As far as the top 10 most-watched shows of the 88-89 TV season, here's how that played out according to the Nielsen ratings. At number one, once again, was the dominant Cosby show with a 25.6 rating share. The ratings were dropping from its peak in 1986, but it was still comfortably the number one show on TV, attracting a quarter of all viewers. Number two, as mentioned, was Roseanne, followed by A Different World at number three. Cheers was in at number four, followed by 60 Minutes at number five. Sitcoms continued to dominate the top ten as number six went to The Golden Girls, followed by Who's the Boss as the seventh highest rated show of 1988. Number eight on the list is Murder, She Wrote. Number nine was Empty Nest. And rounding out the top 10 was Anything But Love, a bit of a lesser-known sitcom 
that starred Richard Lewis and Jamie Lee Curtis. Anything But Love actually debuted later in the season, coming out in March of 1989. Even though it had a shortened six-episode first season, the show garnered some pretty impressive ratings to crack the top 10 for the 1988-89 season. With 1988 being an Olympic year, we started the year off with the Winter Olympics in Calgary, Alberta, Canada, followed by the Summer Olympics in Seoul, South Korea. The two Olympic Games, of course, dominated the sports world that year. Having the Winter Olympics here in Canada was a huge thrill, and I even got to see the Olympic torch in person as it made its way across Canada in what was called the longest torch run in history. This was an Olympic Games where TV rights had become more intense than ever, and it featured a heated battle between NBC and ABC. ABC won with a deal that, at the time, was the highest amount ever paid for a sporting event. Figure skating was a big focus of the 1988 Winter Olympics. Katarina Witt won the gold, with Canada's beloved Elizabeth Manley taking silver. On the men's figure skating side, it was the Battle of the Bryants, which pitted American Brian Boitano up against Canadian Brian Orser. If you wondered what would Brian Boitano do at the 1988 Winter Olympics, he would win gold, beating Orser by just one-tenth of a point. That's what Brian Boitano would do. The 1988 Winter Olympics also produced two moments that would become a big part of pop culture. The first featured four athletes from a country not exactly known for snow and ice. Dudley, Devin, Michael, and Chris, better known as the Jamaican bobsled team, became an inspirational part of the 1988 Winter Olympics and would be depicted in the 1993 movie Cool Runnings. The other moment involved an athlete that was a little out of their comfort zone too. Michael David Edwards from England competed in the ski jump and history would know him as Eddie the Eagle. Just like the 1976 Summer Games in Montreal, Canada failed to win a gold medal in Calgary. This would be rectified in 2010 when the Games came back to Canada, held in Vancouver, British Columbia. Despite the lack of a gold medal, Canada was riding high in Olympic bliss that would continue into the Summer Olympics, but that would soon come crashing down. And that takes us to Seoul. Considered the last Olympic Games of the Cold War, it was a Games dominated by the Soviet Union. But by the next Olympics, held in Barcelona in 1992, both the Soviet Union and the country with the second highest medal count, East Germany, both ceased to exist. The Soviet Union finished with 132 total medals, including 55 gold and East Germany won 102 total medals with 37 gold. Third place was the United States with 36 gold and 94 total medals. Standouts at the 1988 Summer Olympics include Florence Griffith Joyner and Jackie Joyner Kersey. Kersey won gold in both the heptathlon and long jump, while Florence Griffith Joyner or Flojo dominated the track. She set the world record in the 100-meter sprint and then won gold in the 200-meter. 
She then finished up with gold in the 4x100 meter relay. Griffith Joyner ran the 100 meters in a blistering 10.54 seconds and the 200 meters in another record-setting 21.56 seconds. The amazing thing, both of these records still stand to this day. This was the Olympics where tennis made a return after 60 years and was open to professionals. 1988 is also the year table tennis became an official Olympic sport. Swedish fencer Kirsten Palm became the first woman to appear in a remarkable seven Olympic Games competing in fencing. But we can't talk about the 1988 Summer Olympics without one infamous moment. Carol Lewis could only watch as Johnson pulled away. It was a new world record, an incredible time, 9.79 seconds. As an entire nation screamed their heads off for 9.79 seconds, the people of Canada had no idea of the fallout that would come from the 100-meter men's final. Ben Johnson of Canada was up against and defeated fierce rival Carl Lewis of the United States. For Canada, this was our first 100-meter gold medalist since Percy Williams in 1928. As Canadians celebrated this historic achievement, we had no idea how quickly it would all come crashing down. For kids like myself, this was the first time we had ever heard the word steroids. Not knowing exactly what steroids were and what they did, we soon would. Even though this was a Summer Olympics, it took place in mid-September, with the 100-meter men's final held on Saturday, September 24th. I remember my sister coming home from school on Monday, saying her teacher told them that Ben Johnson had lost his medal and was disqualified. My parents said there was no way that could be true. In a pre-social media age, reports were slower to trickle out, but eventually the news broke. Ben Johnson had taken anabolic steroids and was stripped of his gold medal. Here in Canada, it was pretty shocking and heartbreaking news. If you grew up in Canada and were in public school during this time, your classroom might have been like mine, where this entire event and issue were covered in an open discussion. It was a tough event for kids to wrap their heads around and a real roller coaster of emotions over just a few days. For what it's worth, this might not have exactly been the cleanest race ever run. According to sources like The Guardian and CNN, Johnson was not the only guilty one in a final that has been called, quote, the dirtiest race in history. Out of the eight final competitors in the men's 100 meters, six would, quote, fail drug tests themselves or implicated in their use during their careers, unquote. As the flame was extinguished to bring the 1988 Summer Olympics to a close, it also signified the end of the Olympics in the 1980s, a decade that saw the games of both the Winter and Summer Olympics reach extraordinary highs incredible lows, but still captivated people around the world. But 1988 in sports was more than just the Summer Olympics. Here are some other notable events of that year. Martina Navratilova and Steffi Graf continue to headline tennis, with Graf winning all four Grand Slam events, including a gold medal at the Olympics. On the men's side, Stefan Edberg won at Wimbledon. In boxing, Mike Tyson wins a huge fight against the undefeated Michael Spinks in just 91 seconds. Australia defeats New Zealand in the Rugby World Cup, 
while the Australian women also win the World Cup by defeating England. In golf, Sandy Lyle wins the Masters, and the Tour de France is won by Pedro Delgado. The 1988 Super Bowl was won by Washington. The World Series went to the LA Dodgers. The NBA championship was an epic battle between the LA Lakers and Detroit Pistons, with LA coming out on top. Side note, this was the first NBA final since 1983 that didn't feature the Boston Celtics. Speaking of Boston, in the National Hockey League, the Boston Bruins lose in four games to the Stanley Cup winner, Edmonton Oilers. And little did we know at the time, but this was the last time we would see Wayne Gretzky in an Oilers uniform. Gretzky would be traded the next year in a shocking move that would make him a part of the Los Angeles Kings. You might want to keep an eye open for a future episode all about the event that's been called the Trade of the Century, so make sure you're subscribed. What do you think of when you picture the 80s? It might be the big hair, the denim, the fun, and the excitement of a decade full of hope and technological advancement. A lot of that may be dependent on your age, and the 1980s means something different to all of us. But when you think of the 80s from a pop culture standpoint, the upbeat music, big blockbuster movies, small screen entertainment, and rapidly changing technology, 1988 may be the best year to represent the entire decade. It's a year that had it all. Every year and decade has its political strife and turmoil, but from a purely nostalgic pop culture viewpoint, it doesn't get much better than 1988. So that's our show. Thank you so much for listening. There's only one year left to go with my yearly reviews of the 1980s. And as good as 1988 was, the decade is about to go out with a bang. So make sure you're subscribed to the Everything 80s podcast wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss out on that or any other new shows I release. If you're in a position to do so, you can consider becoming a part of Patreon.com. That's the platform to support the show and get access to bonus audio content, including the Everything 80s Movie Review Podcast. And speaking of that, and 1988, I have several movies from this year that I have reviews of, including Big and Scrooge. That's just a sampling of the movie reviews over there. And if you want to learn more, just head to patreon.com slash 80s. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash 80s. Or you can click on the link in the description. So that's it for me. I'm Jamie. This has been Everything 80s, but I'll be back soon with a new episode. Don't you dare miss it.